following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. All right. Recap here, real quick, so we understand where we're coming from. Those of you who weren't here in the past two months, uh, we've been going through a series of Galatians, I mentioned a little bit, and talking about this idea uh, that the Galatians were infiltrated by people who were telling them that believing in Jesus, believing in the true gospel, is not all you need to do to get into heaven. That there's more you need to do, that you have to be circumcised, that you have to follow the law, you have to do all these different things. Only then is your faith true. That's what the people were saying to the church of Galatia. And obviously they were buying into it because Paul had to write this very sternly worded letter towards them, telling them that that's completely false and not to listen to the shenanigans of these crazy people, right? That's what Paul was telling them. And so now we come here on the back end of Galatians, and it's really a string of uh, chapters and verses that are talking about now what your life in Christ looks like when you have complete faith in him. So it's not saying that you need to be doing these things to be saved, but instead, now that you are saved, these things will be evident in your life by your actions and how you live. And that's where we're at right now, and we're going to pick up then on the two things that this passage declares that we as believers have in our lives. The first one is a sinful nature. The passage describes it as a sinful nature. You could also call it a human nature. And if we're going to break down what that is, we know first of all that our sinful nature came from Adam. It was a direct result of sin happening in the garden. And because of that, it has now affected every single person who is born of a human which means all of us, right? Nobody escapes having this sinful nature in your life. It's it's the weight that we have to bear for the things that have happened in the past. And also, another thing to note about our sinful nature is that it cannot be overcome by our own power. There is no amount of of sheer willpower that will overcome your sinful nature. It's just not possible. You cannot overcome it with your own strength to the point where you can then be saved and go to heaven. And if you're wondering what your sinful nature looks like, Galatians carries on in verse 19 to talk a little bit about it. So we'll go ahead and read that. And it says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Paul says that there is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, quarreling, there we go, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he lists a lot of different things here of what your sinful nature uh, sort of develops into. The things that your sinful nature desires, that your flesh, as it's sometimes referred to, craves. And I bolded a few of these things. If you notice, not all of them are actions. A lot of them are mindsets, right? There's things such as jealousy. How many of you have been jealous of something before? There's idolatry. How many of you have ever put something before God? How about division and quarreling, right? Constantly bickering and having disagreements with people Um, And not just disagreements because they're wrong or because you think that they're wrong, but disagreements that ultimately have no weight in the end. Sin is a lot more than just the things that we do wrong, but it's also the things inside of our heart that cause us to do wrong. That's the sinful nature in our lives, the one that's constantly wanting to go against what we feel like we should be doing. And those are only a few ways that the sinful nature presents itself. That's uh, not possibly a comprehensive list of everything that we could do wrong. So just because you don't see something on the list doesn't mean now it's okay. Uh, man, if, if, I, if I had to go through the Bible and add everything that was in there, then we would be here all night. So, so that's not the way it is. But you notice it's not just actions, but it's also the heart behind the actions. But then there's a second thing now that the start of this passage says is in the life of the believer, and that is our new holy nature. Now, I describe it as a holy nature to keep in the common theme, but uh, what that's referring to is the Holy Spirit living in your life. So if we look at our holy nature then, and what that sort of consists of, we see first that our holy nature is something that comes from having faith in Jesus. The Bible describes your faith in Jesus as being the catalyst that brings the Holy Spirit into your life, that God sends him down to live in you, to be that better voice of reasoning, to be the one person who gives you the right things to do and tries to keep you from doing the wrong things. And we also see in this passage that the new holy nature has the power to overcome our sinful nature. That it is the only thing that can possibly overcome our sinful nature. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then the third thing that it mentions, and we're going to build off of today, is that it must be grown and maintained. You see, our our sinful nature is natural to us. Our sinful nature is what everybody knows, right? I mean, when you're a child and you're growing up, you definitely know the word mine really quickly and know really quickly, right? Like if you've ever had kids or, you know, I have a few nieces that are two and five, so I get this all the time when I get to watch them. You know, I go to pick up a toy and put it away and all I hear is, no, mine, right? Like those are the only two words my niece Hannah knows right now are no and mine. So it's obvious that that the sinful nature is very natural to us. That's why it's called human nature. Uh, But then this holy nature that comes in us, is something, first of all, that's given to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. So that's not something everybody has. That's something that Jesus brings to us. And then it's something that must be grown and maintained. It's not natural to us in this world. And luckily, when we die and we go to heaven, it will be the only natural thing to us. But for now, it's not quite as easy to follow. 
So today, then, we're going to spend some time in preparing uh, this idea of growing that spiritual nature within us and growing our ability to hear the Holy Spirit and to follow Him. But if you'll notice, this passage also said something else I want to touch on, and that is that these natures are constantly at war. It says that the Spirit gives you desires opposite of the sinful nature, and your sinful nature gives you desires opposite of the Spirit. And they are constantly fighting each other for the top spot in your lives, for what comes out of you. Is it going to be from your spiritual nature that the Holy Spirit is giving you, or from the sinful nature that is already living in you because you were born here? They're constantly at war. And I think that Paul in Romans says it the best. He says it the way that, you know, I think everybody in this building can probably agree with. And it's Romans 17, verse 18 through 19. And it says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. Look at that. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong but I do it anyways. Has anyone felt like that before? Have you, have you been in that position where you know what you should do, but you can't bring yourself to do it? Or you've been sitting somewhere doing something you know you shouldn't do, but you can't seem to pull yourself away from it? That's that war in your natures, the two natures that are living inside of you, fighting against each other, that are trying to reign supreme in your life. And that's why it's important then to know about the holy nature that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Because we know that it's only the holy nature that can overcome the sinful nature in our lives. And so it's very important to know about this. And so I'll give you three really quick reasons why. I'm sure you could think of many, but here's three quick ones. The first is that it is the way of living in true freedom of Christ. That it brings about the fullness of life that Jesus talked about when he said, if you come to me, he will give it. To be able to live without fear, live without fear of condemnation for your faith, to be able to step forward boldly and proclaim Jesus' name, not to have to live in the shadows and keep uh, the ultimate thing in your life a secret from other people. If you live with your holy nature, you're able to have that freedom, no fear. You're able to live with complete hope in even the worst of circumstances where you feel that nothing good can happen and that everything in your life is now ruined because of your new circumstances that are so bad. But now you're able to have this complete hope if you're living in the Spirit that God can work all things for good, just like we are singing today. And then to be able to have joy in all those circumstances. That's something that's expressed so much throughout the Bible is having joy in everything that goes bad. I was reading through Ecclesiastes, and if you've never read that book before, uh, it's quite the interesting one in the Bible because it doesn't seem to proclaim anything good until you get to like the very last verse for the most part. You know, it's talking about how everything is useless in this world, everything is worthless, that money is worthless, that being smart is worthless, that being stupid is worthless, that, that not having money is worthless. All these different things saying every single thing is worthless, nothing brings me true joy except for my relationship with God. And there's that joy then, I think a lot of us are seeking to get from other things, from temporary circumstances. It seems so fleeting. You say, why can't I ever be happy? 
Well, that's because the things that you're trying to use to make yourself happy are only temporary. They're not going to be there very long. But God is not temporary. He is eternal. So if we can rest our hope and our joy in him, then we are going to be grounded in that and we are going to feel that for the rest of our lives, which is so amazing. And the second important thing about living in the Spirit builds off of this first one, and that is that is the only way to overcome sin. I've expressed this idea already, uh, but trying to remove sin without having the foundation of God only results to anything you may possibly be able to get out of your life being replaced by something else that you don't want in your life. So often people are able to uh, break through and kick a habit, maybe it's drinking, smoking, whatever it is, Uh, but then now they have this void in their life, and if there's no God to fill it with, they're just going to go to something else. You're just jumping habits one by one by one with nothing good to come of it. And it's not just your mistakes I'm talking about. It's not just the thing that you did wrong here or there, but it's those deep things I was talking about earlier that are rooted in your life. When you have a heart of, of jealousy or you have a heart that is always angry or a heart that is always negative, You know, it's these things that need the most work to be rooted out that only the Holy Spirit in our lives can do. And I've learned, if I've learned one thing about sin in my life, trying to conquer it and overcome it by myself, I've learned that the more that you start to spend time with God and the more you develop a deep love for Him, the more you begin to hate and despise the things in your life that before you clung to. The things in your life that you thought you couldn't live without, that you ran to with comfort, that you tried to get to so that you could make yourself feel happy in that joy that you were seeking, the more that you spend time just loving God, man, those things just start to lose their appeal quickly. They start to drop out of your life. And that, I can say, is one of the best remedies of conquering sin. And then finally, before we move on, the last one is that it is what helps to make you an effective witness. And, I mean, think about it. If, if you are someone who didn't believe in Christ, and hopefully there are some of you here today uh, that would say that you're in that boat because we want to talk to you about him. But if you're somebody who doesn't believe in God, and you look at somebody who professes to be a Christian, and they're living a horrible life, where, you know, they only have bad things to say about their family and, you know, they're, you know, constantly wasting their money and, you know, seeking different pleasures and uh, being negative all the time. Like, if you look at that, that's not appealing, is it? Like, that, nothing about that tells me that I want what they have. But when you live in the freedom of Christ, if you go to number one, if you live there, then... What's going to come out of you naturally is going to be something that is an effective witness. When I live in my freedom of Christ and I'm going through a trial, I'm going through a sickness or a death in my family or I lost my job and I'm able to be happy and joyful in those circumstances, that's what you want. Those are the things. That's the difference in your life that you want, right? Because so many people are bogged down by this negativity. It's our part to show that there is joy in Christ in this world, no matter the circumstances, no matter what could possibly befall you, that's going to make you an effective witness. And I think, too, coming along with the first point, uh, if you don't want to be an effective witness, then maybe 
you don't have a full grasp on it like you think you do. You know, evangelism can be scary because of rejection, right? Nobody wants to hear no. You don't want to get that awkward, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm busy Sunday. I don't want to come with you. You're kind of weird. All these different things. You don't want to be rejected, so maybe that keeps you away from wanting to evangelize to somebody, to invite them to your church or to your small group. But if we're truly living in the freedom of Christ and experiencing the joy, the hope, the confidence, and the freedom that that brings, we're going to want to share that with other people. You're going to see people in their misery, and you're going to say, I have something for you that you are going to love. This guy named Jesus did amazing things for you. And man, your life can be transformed just like mine was if you would put your faith in him. Why don't you come to church with me and just check it out? You know, so maybe if that third one scares you and you don't want to be an effective witness, that you don't see the importance of it, maybe that just means that you also aren't truly living in the freedom Christ has for you. But what's great is today we're going to talk about how to grow living in that freedom that Christ has for us. Kind of like the example I made with Russell Wilson, you know, if, if he gained a bunch of weight and, you know, was really good at catching the ball, he'd be a bad quarterback. In a way, you can express the idea of this. God has a fullness of life for us that many of us aren't experiencing. And the way to that fullness of life is by living in the Spirit each and every day, living by our spirit or living by um, our nature that the Spirit brings as opposed to living by our human nature. And so we have to be growing ourselves in the right area. We have to be growing ourselves in sensitivity to the Spirit to being led by him, to listening to him, and to following him. And to do that, then, we have to be making the right steps when we are given the right chances. So that's why today we're now going to talk and focus in on three different things that we need in our lives to be able to grow our spiritual nature. And the first one we need to know is that our spiritual nature needs nourishment. Our spiritual nature needs Daily maintenance. There's a a verse that is so, uh, or made so famous by Jesus declaring it in Matthew 4, 4, when he was in the wilderness being tempted uh, by Satan. And he said, you know, if you're so hungry, you can turn, you know, these bread into rocks and you can eat. Because he had been wandering in the wilderness and it said that he had gone 40 days without food. And he quotes a passage from the Old Testament that says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And you know, scientists say that uh, the average human could live 21 days without food and still survive. I can't even imagine that. You know, it's hard for me to fast for a full day. Uh, So they say 21 days without food. Uh, And there's, you know, a few times uh, Gandhi uh, recorded where he had gone on hunger strikes. And one of those times he had gone 21 days strictly off of taking small sips of water and some citrus drinks. Uh, There are a few reports that said that people had gone to 40 days. Uh, There was a few, I think it was back in the 1400s, of a group of prisoners that had gone up to 70 days without food. Uh, But the scientists say it's really hard for them to confirm whether or not that's true. Uh, And then we have the Bible taking the account that Jesus had gone 40 days without food. So you can go 21 days without food, believe it or not. I know it's kind of a stretch. But the Bible says that our spirit cannot last one day without God. 
it says that we cannot thrive and survive without going to God each and every day. And there's this idea I want you to understand, and that is that you cannot expect your revelations of yesterday to secure your faith for tomorrow. The Bible says we are to be in the word, we are to be connected to God, to be worshiping God daily. And it's brought up, you know, most clearly in the story in Exodus 16, uh, when you have the Israelites leaving Egypt, and they're now in the wilderness, and God sends them manna, right? And he, he tells them, you've probably heard this before, he tells them, all right, now collect just enough of what you need for today, and anything, and like, don't, don't collect anything more than that. So just take what you need for the day, and then I'll give you more tomorrow. So what do the Israelites do? They collect more than they need for the day, because that's just who they are. And then when they wake up the next morning, it's rotten, it's moldy, there's maggots in it, it's disgusting stuff, and they have to throw it out. And Moses is like, man, you guys, you don't know how to listen, do you? You're just a bunch of stupid people who don't know how to listen to God. He said, I'll give you what you need each and every day if you will come to me for it. Because he doesn't want us to rely on ourselves and our own provision. He wants us to rely on his provision. He wants us to rely on him to give us what we need. Another way it's expressed is in John 15, when Jesus is talking about the vine. He says that he is the vine and we are the branches. And if you know anything about plants, you know that a branch that isn't connected to its vine is going to die. It's going to shrivel up. It can't receive the nutrients that it needs to survive, let alone produce fruit. You won't be producing any fruit and you'll be dying. So if you have a branch then, the way for it to get the nutrients is to be securely grafted onto the vine to receive its nutrients from it each and every day. And those are two powerful examples of how God sees our need for him in our lives, that we need him every single day. And so if we want to grow that spiritual nature in our lives, if we want to be able to receive the Holy Spirit more clearly, then that means it's going to take being connected to him every day. And the second thing that we need to know to help grow our spiritual nature is that our spiritual nature needs nurturing. Just like any good plant to produce fruit, you know, they can grow naturally in the wild, but the ones that do the best are the ones that are nurtured and cared for by the gardener. The ones that you can prune off at just the right point, so you're cutting away anything that's dead, and now you're only producing energy into making good fruit from good branches. And in the same way, our spiritual natures need to be nurtured. It's not enough just to do things by yourself. We need to surround ourselves with fellow believers. We need to surround ourselves and make a strong foundation, a healthy environment of people in our lives who can speak wisdom into our lives, who can help teach us, who can counsel us when we need it. I mean, you wouldn't just take a kindergartner and give him a textbook and tell him to learn, would you? I mean, you can't do it. And we're starting off when we give our lives to Christ. Maybe you're 60, 70 years old, but you're still a spiritual infant. And you need that help. You need that person who has already been there to help push you past where you already are. And also, on a practical point, we just need people surrounding us who love God because there's so much negativity that if we aren't around that, then all of a sudden 
everything goes out the window. You know, whether it's your work, uh, maybe it's school that you go to, uh, Facebook, that's a great place for some negativity, right? And we're surrounded by it constantly. Each and every day, we're getting these negative remarks for whatever it may be. It may not be directed at your faith in general, but it weighs on you. And if your home life isn't built on a foundation of Christ, then the only place you're going to get that healthy environment is when you come to church on a Sunday. And I hate to say it, but once a week is not enough to support you. Once a week is not enough to keep you going. It's going to give you a little kickstart, sure, but it's not going to carry you until next Sunday. And that's why we need to constantly be surrounding ourselves by people who can nurture us, who can help us to grow. And what a great way to do that is by joining a community group, right? Shameless plug right there. Join a community group. We at Canyon Ridge do not do these community groups just because that's what's expected of a church. We do these community groups because we know that the most growth happens when you get together with other believers and you process what you have heard on a Sunday morning and you actually talk it out. Can I ask you a question? You don't have to answer it, but I'm going to ask you anyways. When was the last time you processed your faith out loud with another person? When was the last time you talked to someone and said like, man, I feel like God is working in this area of my life? Or said, man, I just feel like I'm being weighed down, that all these different things are coming at me from every angle. I feel like I'm under attack. When was the last time you brought that to somebody and they were able to speak back to you into your life to give you encouragement and motivation? Like if you're just keeping that stuff bottled up, no growth is going to come from that. In fact, that's probably just going to feed the negative thoughts and comments that come into your life. The best times of growth that I've ever had in my own walk with God have been from small groups, from one-on-one mentorships I had. I got to say one of them was Instay with Matt and the group that we have there, being able to learn about my faith in an environment where you have people who actually know what they're talking about and you have people who are hungry to seek God and to grow in their relationship. That has just helped so much. And then another time is just getting together with my friends and just asking them, saying, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? You know, if we believe in this living, breathing God who is active in our lives, don't you think there should be some evidence of that? Don't you think you should be able to look at your life and say, I see God working. He's working on my temper right now by giving me a situation where I should get angry, but he's helping me to learn to be patient, right? Don't you feel like there should be some points in your life where the practice is finally preached, where, or where the preach is finally practiced, that's my bad, where the words become actions and you understand now finally that what you've been learning for so long is actually coming to fruition in your life. You need other people to do that. You need to be able to process that with them. And that's why it's important then to surround yourself in that community any chance you get. That's why it's important to be able to come here to church on Sunday every single week that you can and to commit to joining a community group because you're not just going to get a social interaction, although you will be getting that. You'll make some new friends at the church. It's a great way to get plugged in, but you're going to be able to get the spiritual nurturing that you really need. The thing that maybe you weren't aware that you needed before 
but is maybe the reason why you've been sitting stagnant in the same place for so long. That accountability, that ability to have somebody who can speak into your life just does wonders for your growth. And the last thing then I want to talk about this, uh, this morning is that our spiritual nature needs to be obeyed. The big one, the big do, right? The hard thing for all of us. Um, growing up, I was subject to this idea that talk is cheap. And so I grew up learning that talk is cheap, right? It, it takes nothing to say something. And oddly enough, God feels the same way. If you look in Ecclesiastes 5.7, uh, this is Solomon dropping the wisdom for us, saying, talk is cheap. Look at that. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. You know what that says right there is, you can say everything you want, but nothing's actually going to change until you do it. You can talk a big game, but God sees right through it. He, he knows what you say and he knows what you do. And if it's not lining up, then frankly, there's no benefit from saying it. It's put another way in James verse one, or chapter 1 that kind of displays the entire idea for us. And I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard on a Sunday morning right now, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The Bible says, don't just know it, do it. Don't just talk about it, be about it, right? We can't just sit here building up this well of knowledge in our life and not eventually be compelled to do something about it. It's the exact same thing I referenced earlier, talking about being an effective witness. That living a life in the freedom of Christ, living in all of the joy and the confidence and hope that he brings is going to compel you to reach out and give that to other people. It's going to want you to, it's going to make you want to invest in their lives. It's going to make you want to serve in your community and at your church. God does these amazing things in our lives, and I think the most amazing thing he did for me, other than securing me salvation for eternity, is making me actually care about other people. Because that's what this life is about. It's about caring for other people, serving them, loving them, giving to them, sharing what we have with them. If you do that for any other reason outside of God, it says that you're probably doing it for yourself. But if we do it through Christ, we are now doing it because our hearts have been made one with his. And that's what living life in the Spirit does. So what we don't want to do then is do what the Bible refers to as grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit. It's this idea that uh, Paul talks a little bit about in 1 Thessalonians. uh, This idea that if you ignore what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life, long enough, eventually you're going to stop listening for it altogether. Eventually, 
you're going to sit here and say, I can't hear God trying to tell me what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, you know, uh, because I can't listen to him. I can't hear what he's saying. And there's a chance that if that's the cause, it's probably, or what the cause of that is, is maybe you have spent so long ignoring God that now you're able to just tune him out without even thinking about it. It's like that white noise that they say, you know, you become accustomed to listening to it if it's constantly going time and time again, 24-7. We can do that same thing with God. Which is why we need to be attentive about these three things, about nourishing the Holy Spirit in our lives, about being nurtured by other people, and then when you do hear him, about doing it. It's not just doing the things you know you should do, right? If you've been to church long enough, you know what you should do. It's super simple. Don't be a jerk. Be nice. Love everybody, right? It's real easy. But it's more than just doing what you know you should do. It's about doing the things you were called to do, you know, because God isn't always going to call us each to the exact same thing. It's all along the same mission. It's all for the same end goal. But he's going to call you to different areas. Some of you may be called to preach the word of God. Some of you may be called to be missionaries. Some of you may be called to serve in children's ministry. Some of you may be called to serve on the security team. Maybe you're supposed to work at a nonprofit. Maybe you're supposed to put together some food and go feed the homeless. I can't tell you what that is. The Holy Spirit puts that on your heart. And you have to be listening for that so you can follow along and do it. Because when God calls you to something, it's never for a useless reason. It's never just because. God is calling you to do something because that is his plan, not just for you, but for the people that you are going to reach because of it. The people that God wants to bless through you. So it's important to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and to actually do it when it's put on our heart. And it might be scary, and you might be uncomfortable, you might not want to do it, but if you go back to understanding what it's like to live in the fullness and freedom of life that Christ has given us, then you're going to realize those fears are obsolete. And you're going to realize no matter what happens, you're going to be able to have joy through all of it because it is God who is doing it, not you. And so my closing thoughts for you today is to put together the common themes of this and realize that what God is calling us to be here is to be a doer, right? To invest in our spiritual walk, to find other people who are able to invest in our spiritual walk, and then to follow through with the things that we are called to. And as believers, there is still work to be done in our lives. We don't we don't put faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and then stop there. It is a progress that will follow you until you die. But luckily, the work that we are called to do is only in the form of presenting ourselves as available to do the things that God has called us to and will give us the strength to do. So we don't have to be afraid of what he calls us to do if he knows he's going to get us through it. That doesn't mean some of it won't be hard, and that doesn't mean sometimes you're going to go through great uncertainty, but with that faith that comes with fullness in our life in Christ, we no longer have to be afraid of the circumstances because we know that God's got our back. And so to reach that fullness in Christ, then, we have to continue to invest in our listening to 
the Holy Spirit. He was put in our lives for a reason. He was put there not just to hang around, but to be that voice of reason in our lives. The only thing in our life that can help overcome our human nature. So if you're living a life today that seems to be more fraught with the list of sinful desires and and less with the Holy Spirit, then maybe it would behoove you then to invest in your relationship with him by feeding yourself by surrounding yourselves with others, by making sure you're signed up for a community group before you leave here today, by making sure that when God put it on your heart to go serve in the children's ministry for the upcoming school year, you actually sign up for it, right? I mean, things can only be so scary without faith in Christ, but with faith in Christ, nothing can scare you anymore. You have no reason to fear anything anymore. So I want to make it a point to you today then to seek out opportunities for growth daily. To not let a single day go by where you don't think about your faith. To not go through to the end of the day and then realize, man, I haven't talked to God once today. I mean, it's so simple. It's so easy. You can do it so quickly. Look at this. God, I love you. Bam, I just did it. And I'm preaching a sermon right now, right? You can do it at any time of the day. Connect with God Don't let a day go by without speaking to him. And I want to leave you with this final verse as we wrap things up. Galatians 6, 9, a verse of encouragement for you in the times where it becomes hard, in the times where doing the right thing sucks, in the time where you can't understand how you can possibly go another day. Let Galatians 6, 9 come to you. And it says this, Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You are more good to us than we deserve. You are better to us than we could ever imagine, Father. And I just ask that every one of us who feels your touch on our lives wouldn't waste the opportunities that you give us the opportunities you give us to grow in our character, to grow in our maturity of our faith, and to be able to reach out and bless other people. And ultimately, Lord, I just ask that we would be about your will. God, that we would notice the dissension in our lives between our sinful nature and between your Holy Spirit, and that we would invest in that Holy Spirit beating out our human nature, God, that we would take every opportunity you give us to build our relationship with you and to become deeper with you and have a more intimate love for the things that you love, Father. I just ask even today you would give everybody here a chance to respond, a chance to step out in faith and to prove that we don't just speak these words, but that we believe them in our lives with so much power and so much faith that we're actually going to do something about it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.